Hello, this is your fertility pharmacist. This podcast is for women who are trying to overcome infertility. If you keep a pulse on late-breaking fertility research, it could positively alter the course of your fertility journey like it has for me. Hi, I'm Elise, your fertility pharmacist. Today's article is unique in that it touches on but does not directly assess infertility. This article was published open access in June in Fertility and Sterility. The article has an incredibly long name, and I hope you'll stick with me. The paper is called Liraglutide 3 milligrams on Weight, Body Composition, and Hormonal and Metabolic Parameters in Women with Obesity and Polycystic Ovary Syndrome, a randomized placebo-controlled Phase 3 study. Looking past that terribly lengthy name, I selected this article for the podcast for three reasons. One, because of my background working in diabetes, I am quite familiar with and think highly of the GLP-1 receptor agonist class of drugs, which are for short called GLP-1-RAs. And the drug that that is the star of this study is a GLP-1-RA that is already FDA approved in the U.S. for type 2 diabetes as well as weight management. This drug works by promoting a feeling of fullness and increasing insulin production in the body, which helps to improve weight loss and to control blood sugars. The second reason I selected this article is because I have not devoted an episode to PCOS in two years, and PCOS Awareness Month is coming right up in September. I'm recording this on August 30th. The timing is close. The third reason for selecting this article is, spoiler alert, I admired the study design of this randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. Without further ado, let's get into the study details. This study took place between October of 2018 and June 2021 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at one endocrinology and metabolism clinic. The goal was to find out if liraglutide, the GLP-1 RA I mentioned in that long title, was safe and effective in obese women with polycystic ovary syndrome a.k.a. PCOS. The participants in the study were women who were ultimately trying to conceive and were ages 18 to 45 years old. Most importantly, these women were obese. With a body mass index of 30 or greater, they had PCOS and they did not have diabetes. I want to note that 80% of women, roughly, who have PCOS are obese. This is a group of women in whom the class of GLP-1s have not been formally studied before. All of these women were required to have irregular menstrual periods, to have higher than normal testosterone levels, and they had to be amenable to taking consistent and effective contraception throughout the course of the study. This last part about contraception, that was particularly important because one, animal studies have shown that the study study drug liraglutide has caused early embryonic deaths and fetal abnormalities. Clearly no one wants that. And two, if the women were pregnant, they'd have to drop out of the study. More on this later. Women could not join the study for a lot of reasons, including if they had diabetes, were taking medications that might conflict with the study, or had any major illnesses. More in the show notes. This was actually a really involved study. After meeting the initial inclusion criteria, the women needed to have a bunch of lab work drawn to test hormones, cholesterol, glucose, etc. They had to have their blood pressure drawn. They had to meet with a registered dietitian who gave them individualized recommendations to improve their diet. They were also told to do 30 minutes of moderate exercise a day, although no one was actually checking up on this. The women underwent a lot of measurements, height, weight, 
waist and hip circumference, body composition, the whole shebang. Last but not least, a computer used the block randomization method to assign these women in a 2 to 1 ratio randomly to either liraglutide 3 milligrams subcutaneously, which meant a shorter needle going into the skin, or a placebo that looked and went into the body just like liraglutide. Major kudos to the women who received placebo and stuck with the trial. Thank you for moving research forward. The women did monthly pregnancy tests, did check-ins with the study site at 16 to 18 weeks, and then were called in for more labs and measurements at the end of the study, which ended 32 weeks after starting. Interestingly, this study, like so many other things, was subject to COVID disruption. Half of the patients had enrolled in this trial before the pandemic started, half enrolled afterwards. That Baton Rouge clinic was shut down for in-person visits for two months between March and May of 2020, so some women had to have their midpoint visits pushed back. Some women had to do home pregnancy tests versus lab draws at the clinic. The study coordinator for this trial was a saint and made sure that all the women had enough medications to get through the periods when they couldn't come in. Kudos for working around the unforeseen challenges to keep that study going. The study was looking to figure out if women had a change in body weight, which proportion of the women lost at least 5% body weight, and if the women had a change in bioavailable T as seen by the free androgen index, or FAI. I feel like now you know enough about the study to move forward, so let's get into results. After screening 92 Louisiana ladies for this study, 82 women were randomized to either liraglutide or to placebo. The women on average were in their early 30s, and in both groups, the women had similar baseline parameters. Two-thirds of the women in the study were ethnically white, one-third were African-American. It's worth noting because African-American women are disproportionately impacted with PCOS. Ultimately, 67 women wound up completing the study with 47, oops, 44 women on liraglutide and 32 on placebo. 11 women had dropped out of the liraglutide group, and 6 of these women had dropped out due to a side effect of nausea with the medication, and 2 had a dropout because they wound up pregnant, fortunately delivering healthy, full-term babies. 4 women dropped out of the placebo group, 2 of which felt like the medication had not been working, 1 was due to COVID, and 1 had gallbladder surgery. Looking at the women who finished this study, the results showed that women on liraglutide had statistically significant improvements in total fat mass. Over twice as many women in the liraglutide group lost at least 5% body weight at 50% of women versus just 22% of women in the placebo group. If you're wondering how 22% of women in a placebo group lost this much weight, remember they'd also had a dietary intervention with a registered dietitian they had recommendations to exercise, Plus, they might have changed their habits just by virtue of being in the study. Though there weren't changes in total testosterone, women in the liraglutide group had a decrease in the FAI and developed more regular menstrual periods compared to placebo. Women's blood sugars improved on liraglutide, as did triglyceride levels. Total, low, and high cholesterol levels didn't change, nor did blood pressure. The most common side effects, as reported on liraglutide, were headache, diarrhea, vomiting, and constipation, all of which are known side effects already associated with this medication. 
Based on their results, the authors concluded that in premenopausal women with PCOS and obesity, using liraglutide short-term would reduce body weight, reduce androgenicity, and improve cardiometabolic markers. Now that you know the gist of the study, let's talk about it as a whole. As I mentioned at the start, I thought the study was designed well overall. Randomizing and matching women two to one, study drug to placebo, with neither the patients nor the treating physician knowing who got what, helps to reduce the risk that the patients or physicians had preconceived notions about the results, which actually might have influenced results. I thought the study improvised well with COVID. They managed to keep the study going despite a lockdown. I also thought they did a great job with statistical approaches, calculating in advance their sample sizes, power, type 1 and type 2 errors, etc., Things I thought they could have worked on included better tracking of lifestyle changes, like diet and exercise. Even a simple survey asking the women at the end of the trial about this would have been better than no follow-up whatsoever. Speaking of surveys, I wish they had also asked women what they thought of the study drug. Would they continue on it? If yes, for how long? Questions like that. I also wish the study had done it more than one site, but overall, for one site, these researchers did quite a lot. One last piece of kudos on this trial. It happened due to support from Novo Nordisk, the manufacturers of liraglutide. This was a great example of a collaboration between a pharmaceutical company and a researcher. The investigators promoted good science in alignment with regulatory and safety guidelines, and the pharma company was able to learn more about how their drug would work in a new patient population. To top it off, the study was published in a respectable and highly read fertility journal. I can see this trial opening doors for more off-label use of liraglutide in women with obesity and PCOS. And that concludes today's episode. The show notes contain a link to the original article, as well as related articles on GLP-1-RAs, PCOS, etc. If you have thoughts on this study or suggestions for future podcast episodes, please reach out to me at www.yourfertilitypharmacist.com. This is Your Fertility Pharmacist. Thanks for tuning in. 